Hi guys, here is Florian from Board Creators Club. I can tell you that we have a fully packed episode today. My guest is Alessandro Boliari. He went from his home in Italy to Denmark where he was writing a software to determine influencer prices, then went straight to Miami and co-founded the Influencer Marketing Factory. Today, Influencer Marketing Factory has an office in Manhattan and works with some of the world's biggest clients. That's also because Alessandro has a pretty good track record in spotting trends. He was a very early believer in TikTok and he shares his ideas of the newest marketing trends on his LinkedIn profile. So a perfect premise to evaluate some of the opportunities the future brings. That means that we will talk about the use cases of NFTs. We will talk, of course, about AI and JetGPT's use of marketing. We will also discuss virtual influencers and the adoption of a lot of other trends that are coming right now from China. So let's lose no time and dive right into it. Hi guys, today's podcast is with Alessandro Boliari. He is right now in New York. He has co-founded the Influencer Marketing Factory. And when you follow him on LinkedIn, of course, the link is in the description. You will see that he has a lot of very innovative takes about recent trends. And we will talk about some of these today as well. But now I'm super happy that you're here, Alessandro. Thanks for being here. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Very good. And um, as it is tra tra tradition, um, at first we are starting with a little case study. And mm -hmm. you're having a super interesting case about trampoline company, Springfield Trampolines. Mm -hmm. Maybe you can tell us a little bit about where that case was, in what countries, and what you've learned. And maybe you can also give us a couple of numbers. Absolutely. Uh, you know what? I brought this one because everyone knows about makeup and beauty, fashion. Uh, I don't want. I didn't want to bring like you know the same usual thing. So I was like, you know what? Let's let's show that actually you can use influencers, uh, families, kids, and so on all together to actually be able to sell something that is actually like a big item that not you, you just don't like you know think about it and buy right away. Like oh, it's a lipstick. I'm gonna buy it. You know. So so this client of ours, a really great cl uh, client. Uh, they what do they do? Of course, they they sell trampolines for outdoor, right? So. Also, we got trampoline indoor. I, I don't think it's like it's a big business. Maybe for some, but uh, you know. So this is the typical thing. You want to have something to have, like you know, your families get together. Uh, you know, especially for the summer. So what do they do? Is that they sell trampolines, on, uh, you know, on their website. They bring it to your place. They help you, like you know, uh, build them and so on. So what we did it is that we did a campaign that was for TikTok, YouTube, and Instagram. So first of all, it helps right in going on different directions here and different medium because on TikTok you might just tell a story a bit quickly but on YouTube you can do a vlog right all together so for example what would what did we do uh, and I'm talking about like a campaign that did like more than seven millions of views uh, like I'm talking about 40,000 click that arrived from that again I'm talking about trampolines it's not something that you buy every single day right so it was really successful because uh, we combined together organic plus paid media but at the end of the day all these videos had something is come in common it was uh, family time it was being together it was having fun so for example we had a jump challenge on tiktok like who in the family of like 10 plus kids was able like you know to do the best jumps the pose challenge right so you can do like a you know, spider-man and like you know it's it's something that like you know everyone does on on a trampoline so why don't put it on video or for example on youtube but it was maybe 
uh, you know, reaction as a present for your kids. So they don't expect it. And then you record everything like the, you know, like the truck arrives uh, and they're like super happy because again, it's a big present, right? So you record everything like it's a vlog about the experience and then you build it together. You can showcase like how easy it is to, you know, maintenance uh, moving around in your, like, you know, in your place in the garden. And then you can have like the second part of the video where you play on the trampoline. So again, there is so much going on. It's something basic if you think about it. It's like, again, family time, but we wanted to show that influencer marketing can work not just for the, you know, $5, $10 type of items, but also things that cost you like, you know, three, $4,000 per piece. Yeah, incredible. And uh, what I really liked was your, your CTR. So 40,000 clicks. So that is for, I think, 7 million um, people watch the clips. That's roughly 0.5%. And that's very, very good in particular for such an expensive item. I mean, such a trampoline can cost probably 100 euros, maybe even more. <laughs> the last time I was buying a trampoline is a couple of years ago. But that is really interesting. And uh, maybe you can tell us a little bit about the, the user benefits that you transported, because I would assume that it is fun that you want. It is the ease of getting it into your garden. Tell us a little bit about some, some other things that you want to transport in that campaign. Again, as I said before, it's mostly like entertainment and family time, right? So um, we all seen that YouTube has started like many years ago now, and uh, there are a lot of channels for families. And even some of them, they are like, uh, uh, you know, I don't want to say, like they are hosted by, by kids, right? And they are doing a fantastic job with families and telling stories. Some of those channels are ordinary day daily, like even boring sometimes things, but you are part of that family, right? So. We are sell, we said like, you know, people already enjoying this type of content before. Uh, so for YouTube was something there. Instagram, we know that there are like, there are a lot of moms on Instagram, parents and families, but then also TikTok, right? In the past, I would say three years, right? We all know that it started mostly for really young people dancing and doing like lip syncing and then it changed and we started having professionals and then, and then it expanded in terms of age. And if before it was only like the kids on the app and now we have the, all the family. And so we said all these free channels can work well. And again, you know, you can just bring in all the joy of something that, I mean, like if you ever been on a trampoline, like, you know, as a kid or even as an adult, because there are also a lot of adults that go still and go play right on trampolines, you remember that. So it was, you know, a bit of nostalgia. If you're like an adult, you wanted to remember what it was like to be a kid and, and go on a trampoline. If it is a family, it is a family time to be all together. Um, so, so again, I think it's quite interesting, again, using influencer marketing to really show that you can, nowadays you can potentially sell everything. And it's not just about the brand awareness anymore, right? Uh, we really moved from uh, these are the vanity metrics. You can actually look at, you know, clicks, uh, you can look at sales, uh, you can look at different things. And if you're able to track things, you can do an ROI, right, of that campaign. So I think there is, uh, again, I wanted to bring it up because uh, it's easy to see small items and so on. We're like, let's do a challenge and let's see if we can sell, you know, something that is like big as, as a trampoline and with it. Great, great. Um, I mean, for the ROI, of course, the cost would have been super interesting as well. But I'm not sure if we can talk about the, the costs here as well. I mean, for us, <laughs> as podcasting would be great. <laughs> okay, but um, one marketing related question. Yes. You mentioned already the mom accounts. Was your audience rather the parents that then 
were buying something for their kids or were it the kids that then went to their parents asking mom and dad can i have the trampoline i mean we did like a lot of uh, a lot of content uh, and i i didn't watch all of them because we're talking about like you know tens and tens of content uh, so even if they're like you know really nice to watch like it, it takes time right so but the one that i watched it was mostly like the parents uh giving them as a present or maybe for example the family already wanted to buy one so the kids already knew right uh but they still recorded all their like you know memories collecting together like for example for the weekend and so on so i would say that it's mostly coming from the parents uh, as a thing but there might also be in some some videos that are like the opposite like for example i know that sometimes youtube channels they do that right there is the kid that is asking for a present and the parents like ah not really but they still buy it you know so both narratives i think could work well for a product like this Great. And you mentioned, I think, three channels, YouTube, Instagram, and TikTok. Um, for this campaign, but also in general, where do you see the differences when someone wants to sell a product? Where should they go to? Just super general. Uh, okay. It really depends, right? It's one of those things that unfortunately you cannot just say, oh, go with TikTok. Like what I say all the time it is that you don't have to be on a social media just because everyone else is there, right? Uh, if your company doesn't really align with certain like would say like you know either values or demographics uh, doesn't make sense right to be there just because so unless you don't want to be on a specific place what we recommend all the time if the client has the budget and uh, they want to test out things you usually prefer to do like a, a campaign where you go on all these three different social media to test out things sometimes uh, you think that you know your audience where they're at but actually you realize that some of these people you know like it's like when you do a b testing for cold emailing or for banners whatever you think that maybe is like oh of course this variation of this button is gonna work but at the, at the end of the day it's the people that choose it's the one that they're gonna click is the one they're gonna buy so the same approach do it for influencer marketing do and test many things do a lot of different videos uh, things also that you, you think might not work. Again, maybe people might like love them. We have seen with like viral videos going like, you know, crazy. Um, and if you look at them, like maybe there was not a real strategy, but sometimes things happen randomly. So our advice is all the time is try with different type of influencers, first of all, in terms of like their sites, uh, their industry and so on. For example, not just because um, you want to sell something in the, something that's like, let's say a beauty product, uh, you have to go in the beauty industry. Go and try me with someone that's outside of your industry so you can have a different angle in the terms of narrative, for example. If you only tried out TikTok, uh, yes, TikTok can give you something, but uh, what if you want to go more in detail than YouTube, for example, an integration of 60 seconds might be a better way because it's even more native and integrates well in a video of maybe this 50 minutes, right? It might also push a bit less your product, right? Because it's part of an overall, uh, you know, like uh, video. And the same also for Instagram, right? Uh, people might uh, go a bit less on the feed, uh, but still stories uh, can bring you a lot of clicks uh, between the you know the link uh, um, uh, sticker and also the, the the one that you can tap and go to the page for example we notice that a lot of people go on instagram right and then they search on social media about uh, you know maybe reviews and overall feedbacks of the users per a specific company even more than google so maybe you might have a certain type of comments and feedback on instagram that might be different on youtube and they might be different on on tiktok why each social media has a different type of audience a different type of also behavior so our uh, advice all the time it is if you can test them out look at the data look at the feedbacks before you can actually you know arrive to a conclusion uh, so look at the data look at the overall feedbacks and then you can maybe 
double down on the one that works the best for you. Understand. So as you can hear, you're very, very big into the trends and into the social media analysis. Now you're sitting in front of the Manhattan skyline. We know that it wasn't always the case. Maybe uh, let's zoom out a little bit and you can take us on your journey and the journey of Influence Marketing um, Factory and tell us a little bit more about that. Absolutely. So I'm originally from Milano, Italy, as people can hear from my accent. Uh, and uh, after like living there for a long time, uh, when I was around, what was it, maybe 23 or something like that, then I moved to Copenhagen in Denmark, so in Scandinavia, where I studied my master's degree. And while I was doing that, I, I found out about influencer marketing. So I decided to write a thesis about it. And it was mostly like a sort of algorithm to uh, calculate how much to pay fashion influencers on Instagram. So it was a specific niche and even like, you know, the typical 100 page type of thesis. But at the time, I'm talking about now eight years ago or, or, or so, yeah, eight years ago, there was no, almost no thesis about influencer marketing, right? In the academia. So it was something new. And I also created a little program in, in Python that, or, or something like that when it was not jazz, whatever was it, that was, uh, you were able to type in the Instagram user and you got an output on how much you should pay based on certain, you know, factors. It was the wild west in terms of pricing. Like no, no one knew like how much to pay an influencer, right? Still to the day, it's a bit difficult sometimes, but my thesis was like, there should be a way to identify that. It's not that easy. I still believe that you cannot just use an algorithm to do that. There are so many other things involved. Like, are you an authority in the space? Do you have press around you? Like there is so much more. And, um, but still that was the idea. Again, works for the academia, doesn't work for the real world, but still. And after that, moving forward, I moved to Miami, I started working, um, I was already working for someone, um, you know, in, in Copenhagen, more in, on the informational side of influencer marketing. Again, I'm talking about seven years ago when people were still asking, what is influencer marketing, right? That, that was the era of like asking information, like a basic information. Who is an influencer? What is, you know, the difference between an influencer and brand ambassador? Is it the same word of mouth? There's so much, right, going on in that phase, in that area. So, I was really fascinated by that and I said like, you know what, uh, let's go to the States uh, where all the time trends arise earlier, right, than in Europe. And so after a bit, I was like, I think that I'm ready to, to create uh, my own agency. I confounded it also with another person. We started very small, okay, so just two people and be like, um, let's just get a few clients here and test out things. But um, as we started the company, I saw a big opportunity. I was a big fan at the time of, of Vine. Vine was already discontinued for like maybe three years, if not at the time. So I was looking for something new. And that new thing that not many people believed in, it was actually TikTok. So we have been one of the first offering TikTok as an influencer marketing you know, distribution channel to clients such as like, you know, Sony Music, Universal Music, Warning Music Group. At the beginning, if you remember, uh, no one was doing that, but we, we started doing hashtag challenges for music. So you were using the soundtrack as, as a, just a way to do like viral videos, but then people were going from TikTok maybe to Spotify or Apple Music. So that was the beginning. And really we started with the idea, let's test it out. TikTok was a big bet because no one knew about it. Again, a bunch of kids dancing and no one was taking it that seriously. But I was a big fan of Vine, as I said before. So I said like, this might be the new big thing. And so we, we got there before many others. And that's why then we got like, you know, more clients. We started growing, growing in an organic way. And again, from two people now, we're almost a team of 50 uh, between the US and Europe. We got amazing clients such as like Google, Meta, 
uh, Unilevers, many others. So really, it started as a as a test, just a few bucks, uh, you know, uh, put it in the in the bank account, and especially during COVID, everyone was in front of their phone. So our company skyrocketed in terms of revenue, in terms of uh, employees, in terms of campaigns and clients. So really, really lucky to be uh, where I am. Uh, a lot of things uh, went well so far, knocking on woods. So yeah, like long story short, started really as a as a test, and and here we are now. Fantastic. So you had already a pretty good idea to bet on TikTok, obviously, afterwards, it's easy to say. Um, just because you mentioned the thesis, and it sounded super interesting, is there any way for, for a listener to also read through this nowadays? I think so. It should be on Google Scholar, I think. But uh, I mean, it's like 100 pages, you know, I, I don't know if you want to go there. But uh, apart from that, it's also like it's the data, it's uh, one day in social media, it's one year in any other industry. So eight years in social media is like, I think, 60 million years, right, in, uh, in any ad. So like, yeah, you can, you can take a look. Sometimes some, uh, some students, maybe they are going through the same. They, they know about that, so they write me to, to ask me questions. Uh, but again, the academia is something, the real world influencer marketing is something else. So yeah, I think that if they type my name on Google Scholar, they might still find it, but it's going to be a bit updated. So it's like an, an ancient document. It's like Moses... <laughs> Moses uh, 10 tables of influencer marketing. <laughs> now, from the past, let's look into the future. You mentioned already that you had a pretty good guess with TikTok. Now, um, there are other networks that are evolving right now or trying to evolve. Um, for example, something like Be Real. What is your opinion on Be Real? And second question, do you see any other network where you think, okay, let's have an eye on that. Maybe that is something that could go viral in the future. So I used Real for, I think, two days and then I just uninstalled it. I might not be the right person. I think that if I was younger, maybe, you know, maybe 15, 16, or even like maybe in your early 20s, uh, you have more time on you, you know, even like, you know, maybe a bigger like group of friends that have also, they also have more time so they can react to your picture. But now I'm 31, I'm working a lot, you know, all my friends are professionals. You don't really have the time, right? To to just take, even if it's like a few seconds, you have to take it like, you know, while it notifies you. I know that you can also take it after a notification, but at that point, I'm like, this not be real. It's a Instagram story, in my opinion. So, you know, so I think that it's overall a nice idea, but it's it's a feature, if you think about it. It's just a feature that can be easily, you know, copied. And it was copied by TikTok with TikTok now. It was copied by Instagram with Instagram, uh, you all or stuff like that. So unless uh, you are able really to, identify new ways to get the retention of the users there. I don't think it's gonna, I already know that it's dying out a lot. Um, and also like it didn't like, you know, uh, explore from one day to the other. Uh, uh, it was created in France and it went like, okay, for I think a couple of years or something like that. And then boom, it exploded like as many things on the internet. Then it lasted more, they got, they received a lot of funding, you know, to expand. But again, if you think about it, it's really, one feature mostly you can only comment reacting uh, you know with another photo so it's not for everyone for example i found myself that i will maybe to comment but i don't want to take a photo of myself so again it might be the wrong demographics but i don't i don't see the entirety of it so i think it's missing something so yes i'd add 
I don't personally think that unless they do something great in addition, yeah, it's it's a bit limiting in my opinion. I also had some sympathy for it because it would have come out of Europe after a lot of networks from the US and then of course uh, TikTok from ByteDance and in China. It would have been sort of nice, but I also see that there are two main problems. So first main problem I see is the discoverability that is very difficult. So you cannot you cannot uh, build up influencers, which um, was or still sort of is a problem of, of Snapchat, that it, the discoverability on Snapchat is worse than on, on Instagram, for example. Plus, I don't really believe in authenticity, so that this is such a big thing. So, so the authenticity that, let's say, you're on the restroom, you're getting your Be Real notification. Who wants to see that? Nobody wants to see that. So authenticity, of course, means that you're also talking about some negative aspects, and that is good, but it doesn't mean that uh, you shouldn't care about what you're posting online. And I just think that anybody is really interested in that. I mean, if... if um, if you would get a bereal of me sitting at a bus stop or something like that, who would care about that? I mean, <laughs> so that's... No, yeah. I mean, everyone is used to see fantastic TikTok videos. YouTube with like production that is also almost like Hollywood production. Then you have Deezer that it's really like, it doesn't really get your attention. And then on the second thing is like uh, Vine, it didn't work out because they were not able to find the monetization. And people went to YouTube. How do you monetize be real like yeah like yeah you can get them some money from maybe from the users but we all know that whenever you ask money to the users only a small fraction of them they convert so how do you do that either with ads or through some sort of like partnership whatever do you really want to put ads on be real that is the only place where you don't want to see ads so overall yeah i am not really bullish on it yeah just because we were talking about vine we were talking about getting money from the user i think there is an elephant in the room that's called Elon, who is also getting money from, from the user or trying. So do you think that Twitter should bring back Vine? Would that be an option? Oh, wow. Good question. Sometimes I think about that because um, people say like, oh, if Vine was it now, you know, actually was just a better version of TikTok. In my opinion, that's so different. Like Vine, it was really about original content. There was not the idea that you were able to use the same sound. There was not the idea to use templates with CapCut. There was not the idea to use uh, that duetting. So Vine was really an entertainment app. Um, no social factors that now TikTok is trying to enter in with the friends and the network effect. So Vine was really about you create original content and each creator is different from the others. While TikTok, it's really more about jumping on trends. It is copying each other's ideas sometimes. And it is like mostly repurposing and uh, remixing other contents. So you have a video on TikTok that can become a song. Think about, you know, the corn, you know, kid, for example, that he started as a YouTube video, if I'm correct. From the YouTube video, it became a, a clip on TikTok. From the clip on TikTok, it became a song. From the song was a remix. Like you can go like, you know, sky's the limit. So really different. So Vine, the only thing that might be in terms of potential is two things. Whenever you have a new app, you have the potential for people that already, like TikTok now is difficult to become, you know, to get 1 million, 2 millions, right? Because there is a, a lot of competition. If you go to a new place, even if it is like an older app and you start from zero, it might be, you know, like a good starting point from some people that want to actually make it. That's happened all the time. People that are, cannot maybe make it like on, on, on YouTube, they discover about a new app, 
they go there. And that happened all the time. If you're lucky and you put effort and you bet on something, you can become the number one. That's happened with Binance, right? They went on this new app, they posted every single day, and you were able to see like the ones that were like, you know, going the most, like, you know, as popular. So long story short, unless they find a way, one, to monetize and give something like, you know, to users, and two, to give them the promise that your organic reach can really give you the spotlight as TikTok presented. Like one of the founders of TikTok back in the day said, TikTok was like America for like, you know, people that were discovering the land. It was a new place and everyone had the same opportunity. And Vine potentially could do the same, like, okay, let's go back to the basics. It's really uh, about like an original content and everyone has the, the same organic reach at the beginning. And then of course you need an algorithm to show like what people like it and so on. So if you are able from day one to give monetization plus uh, opportunities, it might be a good idea. If you try to do a copycat of uh, TikTok, mm, I don't know. So you need, you need the differentiators for sure. Yeah, 100%. And I think at that time, it's probably hard to find a great differentiator because what you mentioned, like everybody is starting from ground zero. That is what TikTok is doing already. Uh, original content, that is something that TikTok is doing. There are so many cool trends apart from dancing and all of that. We know that, of course. Lastly, I'm I'm watching a lot of Caleb Simpson. Do you know that guy? He's visiting homes in New York, asking people from Red. I love it. So funny. And that is very, very unique to, to TikTok. And I also th would think that, I mean, other than if they were having a super unique feature that can be replicated, it's going to be very hard to bring back Vine and make it a success in the end. Absolutely. Also, you have to think about who is going to be the, the users. Because if these Twitter users, I don't think these are the right people. Because people on Twitter are really different from people that love TikTok and vice versa. So if you look to transpose the people from Twitter, like the active people in making content, they are not the same demographics, they are not the same people. If instead you only want to use the Twitter name and their sort of like, you know, finance to finance the project fine and getting people that maybe don't want to be on TikTok anymore, they want to try a new thing. Yes, but yeah, like trying to, to, to transform the Twitter users to content creators, I, I don't think uh, it's going to be a strategy that for the win, you know, so. Yeah, absolutely. And I also think that the typical Twitter user probably also doesn't have that much time to create a video for it. I mean, on Twitter are probably some of the smartest people in the world and experienced, most successful people. When you think of it, where would Barack Obama be? Of course, he's on, on Twitter. A lot of other presidents, CEOs, they are on Twitter. So it's a super interesting network because you're having a lot of intelligence and power there. Now, Elon Musk is the CEO and he also thinks openly about making it a super app. So super app meaning WeChat, something like that. What would you think about something like that? So super apps are something that fascinates me. I, um, I've been studying like the Chinese environment in terms of social media apps uh, and social commerce apps and so on. Uh, I've been looking also a little bit what else is happening in Indonesia uh, that, you know, like many don't realize, but it's the fourth uh, country by population in the world. Like, you know, that's why also TikTok does a lot of experiments in Indonesia. What is interesting to say it is that super apps uh, works well in China because China has been used to use phones uh, even more than desktop uh, since 2000, I think, and five or something like that. There was there was some sort of data they saw on, on an article that was saying, you know, majority of Chinese, uh, you know, um, citizens, they use uh, more, they access the internet by phone more than computers. Why? 
because of rural areas in China, they were like difficult to maybe get connected to the internet. But if you have a phone, if, with a phone, you can easily get connected with a satellite. You can create videos easily. So for example, we saw farmers in China that were selling apples like and making a lot of money, right? And before that, it was impossible. Even like, you know, in China, people from the days where you used to see many things happening at the same time, still now, but at the beginning of 2000, if you went, you used to go like to a Chinese website and you were like, from Western country, your eyes would be like, what is this? Everything is happening at the same time. You go to a homepage that you have like a flashing things happening, a lot of text, like more than what we are used in the Western country, like a lot of text, different fonts in a way, like, you know, the sizes. And for us, it's destruction. But in China, it's like, if you go to like a website to buy a car, it's Celtic. But for them, it's how you do marketing, right? So the same also for fonts and super apps. The idea is that, it's okay to have everything in one place. Instead of being overwhelmed as we are, right, in Western countries, like in Europe, in the US, the more it happens, the more it is interesting, right? That's also what happens, you know, usually maybe when you do like live streaming in China. You are watching something, at the same time you have like a pop-up that tells you about a discount. If you click on the button, you can have a surprise. It's really entertaining and a lot of happens together. So again, because of the usage of people from phones, they have been used for like more than 15 years already to access the internet from your phone. You can do everything with your phone. While in the US, yes, there is adoption, but still, if you think about it, the majority of things, you still do that on desktop. Like you, if you have to pay your bills, access your like, you know, bank, bank account, yeah, you can do it, but still a lot of operations, you feel better to do them on desktop. Might be also behavioral as a thing, could be cultural. So because of all this reason, and uh, and also, I mean, like, again, in China, it's different. Like, you know, you have uh, the Communist Party that, like, control over what happens in terms of, like, you know, uh, each transaction in terms of money. So, of course, you want a place that controls everything, right? In one place. And you can have, like, just one place for everything. In the US, where, you know, capitalism is, is the way to go, like, can you imagine, like, a one only place uh, to do everything together that means that you should have like having different companies uh, big competitors uh, to talk together and be like let's put our efforts together in one place so difficult to to do i would say and overall also people are used to jump around different things like you have the app for instagram like you know for the stories uh, you go on instagram you want to do like something entertaining you go on tiktok so all these to say that between technological gaps and also cultural differences, uh, it's difficult in my opinion that it's going to happen in the next two, three, or even maybe five years in the United States. Because again, it's so fractionated so far. There are so many differences uh, that even if you, technically speaking, you're able to bring that there, people are still used to do the same things over and over in the same way. So before you open up new ideas to be like, you can do everything in one place and move them. Think about just like moving people from TikTok to YouTube. Difficult. A lot of people have a good following somewhere, but to move their audience somewhere else, really difficult. People don't want to do that. So can you imagine to move someone from maybe from PayPal, from your bank, from your favorite social media, everything in one place and be like, okay, now I can do everything in this app. Um, again, it's it, culturally speaking, it's different. There are different ways to live your life. So um, I think that it has potential, but not in the next future. Yeah, I, I sort of agree with that. I also think that it would be super complicated. Probably the closest company that could build something like that relatively easy would be something like Apple because they are having a lot of data already. We pay with Apple. We're using iMessage. So you don't have such a feed, of course. But in terms of the adoption, probably something like Apple 
plus Instagram <laughs> maybe would be the easiest. Yeah, that's the thing. Apple is not social. They don't have social. So that is a big thing. Like if you want a super app, you need something that brings you there again and again. So retention and usage of the same thing. What is the thing that you open the most? Social media. If you don't have a social media component, why should I go in a super app if I don't have like that thing that tells me like open it again? So yeah, I can pay my bills. I can do whatever. I can have Apple Pay. Still, there are features, right, that are embedded now in your in your iPhone. But if you want someone that goes there multiple times a day, you need the social media component. And and Apple, for example, doesn't have it. So and and, and it's challenging for them to from the one from one day to the other be like, hey, now we are also social media. You know what I mean? I don't know if people would trust Apple to do that because Apple is the equivalent of hardware, right, and not social. So. Yeah. Plus, I also don't think that a lot of people would trust Elon Musk having all of their data now because, I mean, we, we see it for virtual influencer um, AI right now. The more data you have, that's the big advantage of, of Google and Lambda, of course, over ChatGPT. We'll get to that later. The more data, the easier it is. But now um, we just said that social is the part that Apple is missing. Now, there are rumors that Apple is working on the metaverse. And for Facebook, it's probably the only bet because they don't have the direct touch. We saw it when they limited um, the ads on Apple and Google. So Facebook has to go there. Apple wants to go there. This could maybe be a social media part or at least a social part. But more general, how do you view the metaverse? So I tried a couple of things back in the days. I used my Quest Pro, uh, no, sorry, the Quest 2. Quest 2, I have it as well. <laughs> I, I used it a bit uh, to mostly play games uh, with other people. Um, and I did it a couple of times. Uh, at the beginning, it was quite interesting, but I think that then it, you know, it died on me as a thing. Like I, you still need to take some time from your day and um, you had to put everything on. They're also doing a lot of updates lately, so sometimes you have to update the thing. Like, so unless you have a lot, a lot, like a lot of time on your hands, it's difficult to uh, organize. And secondly, also everything is still at the infancy. The graphics are not there yet. Uh, sometimes it's still kind of buggy. Um, the, there is a, a big problem about mod, uh, content moderation in certain areas of the metaverse. And also, like, it's still the Wild West. I remember that I was going somewhere in one of these different lands. Uh, and I remember there was a big, uh, the big phase of crypto when everything was crypto and it was NFTs. Uh, I remember with my quest, I was going around and I, I saw these um sort of like you know i was you know walking around and there was this sort of banners and they had like a qr code that was sending you to an nft project it was like it was really crazy to see like i was in the metaverse and people were doing ads about the nft project that you were able to pay with crypto unless you're really into that it's not for everyone so it's really niche specific okay as a thing you need to invest time and uh, it's not there yet and overall also as a person personally for me i still prefer to when i can to meet person you know in, in real life type of thing or even on zoom but all the idea to having like this type of uh, now i know that they are trying to do something that's a bit lighter i think that also the device is going to make a huge difference right now the quest to like it's quite heavy on you and it's not really the most like uncomfortable thing right to wear and after personally for me after one hour it's it's enough like i cannot do more than that so i think there are like a lot of things the concept itself it is interesting we are not there absolutely yet and it's still only for a small niche of people before making it like you know potential uh, a big hit 
you really have to work much more on that. So I don't know. I don't. I don't love it. I don't hate it. I mean, still in, in the middle. I don't have the knowledge enough. I would say in the past months to know where he's going. Uh, but I'm but I'm quite curious to see later on maybe in the next year so what is the updates there and and if actually can you can use it apart from games and so on I know they're trying to make it like you can work in the metaverse do you really want to work in the metaverse I I don't think so so yeah yeah we tried that actually so during the pandemic we we bought uh, some colleagues two or three of the of the meta 2 I think it was called meta quest 2 and the problem was that your eyes hurt at a certain time so we used a uh, meta workroom and the graphics weren't as sharp. Now there is a new version out, but still they are not as sharp. And then you always have here such a red stripe on it because it's super uncomfortable. And the battery only lasts like two hours. So fully agree, it's not yet there. And also the people are Wild West. When you're going to VR chat, it's crazy what sort of people <laughs> you're meeting there. <laughs> I was I was I was one time playing you know this game it was one of those that you have like when you install everything it's like a frisbee game you're like going around it's free versus free again I'm not a big of, of a gamer so for me it's all new and uh, and I was surrounded by a bunch of I'm pretty sure like kids I, I don't know their age but from the voice you can see it and to me it was disturbing to be honest because I'm like I'm an adult like why I, I shouldn't be here and so up until you don't really moderate things, I can see a lot of problems happening in the metaverse. And, uh, and, and so, yeah, it was, it was a bit, a bit weird as an experience. So I went, went, then I stopped doing that. I did like some solo games just to try the technology. But if you go there and you're like in the VR, it's so crazy because you can feel that the person is next to you because of the microphone and everything. So yeah, like not, not a big fan of it. And uh, and also would be interesting to to see also how families and parents are gonna manage all of these because you cannot just say no, but at the same time again you know like it's uh, it's a bit weird because it's not just the internet anymore. You can actually talk with people that as on the internet back in the days is strangers, right? My parents told me like there are strangers on the internet. It's the same concept, but now you have another extra layer of complexity because your avatar is even more present, not physically, but you have your voice, you, you can customize yourself even more. Um, so yeah, a bit problematic. So there's so much more to do on that. Yeah, and I mean, it's so immersive. So I tried boxing. Um, I wouldn't be brave enough to do boxing, boxing in real life, but it was great fun. And I tried games like Resident Evil. Holy moly, it's so crazy when you've got a zombie right in front of you. <laughs> so that was really incredible. You know what? There has been an increase, a big increase of people going to the hospital or their emergency room because of VR. Because they start like flying around they forget for a second they're like in VR they start running against the wall boom or like they maybe punch the wall doing that so yeah I was seeing somewhere like there's been a, an increase of people going to their managers through because of VR so that's another interesting thing I would say I've got an experience in, in punching the wall so it was it was rather punching a shelf and then I, w I was in my glasses and then my, my girlfriend came over she said are you okay <laughs> is everything okay with you so it was crazy but now let's just uh head into the future. Let's say uh, we don't have PlayStation 2 graphics, which we have right now on VR. Let's say the VR glasses look like sunglasses. So increased comfort. And what else would you like to have so that you say, okay, I'm a VR user in the future? Oh, wow. I haven't never thought about this. So um, again, I, I wouldn't use it necessarily for, for game, mostly because myself I'm not a gamer, so I don't care about that. I know that they are trying to push like everything that is more like the 
it's a combination between VR and AR. So you are in front of your computer, right? You can activate that and you can have an extra screen that is not physically there, but you can use it. Or in the movies from the 2000s, right? You are able to screen up things. You can click on the... So potentially that would be interesting just to see, for example, if you're a designer, uh, if you're an architect, for example, okay, how can I move objects around? I know that you can already do that, but I'm talking about something that is, again, like a bit lighter on you and can be a bit easier to manage. Um, if you can do something like that, like you can do 3D projects, uh, you can you can amplify the ER, like, for example, around you, those type of, of jobs, it can help. Um, if I have to work on Excel file, to be honest, I don't need VR, I would say. But then if it is maybe more like on the design, again, like in you know, architecture, if, if I, I, I am an engineer, I want to see certain models, I want to zoom out, I want to potentially like build with my hands, that type of things. I heard also that potentially later on, I know that it's still at the beginning, but if you're like a surgeon, for example, they're already doing that. But what if you can make that a bit easier, for example? So all those type of things that where you can potentially bring together manual work, plus your like, you know, help with AR and VR, I think it might be beneficial. I don't see it personally for the usual person that again has to work on a Google Doc. You don't need you don't need VR, in my opinion, for that. But anything else that is more on that might be interesting. But absolutely you need a better device because right now it's so uncomfortable. And yeah, as you said, like you look at yourself in a mirror and you have like these things on your, like, and I'm like, that's awful. So yeah, I know. Yeah, I, I agree. I think um, that it, it serves some purposes. Maybe it's also for, for meeting interesting when the graphics are super realistic. So when you really think that on the other side of the table, there is Alessandro sitting with me or uh, for education, I think it would be pretty cool. You as a Italian, when you could visit ancient Rome, for example. So that would be maybe quite nice. We talked already about crypto and, you know, influencer marketing, NFTs. You don't imagine how many NFTs companies uh, contacted us during that boom. And I'm pretty sure for it was the same. <laughs> so, um, of course, the, the probably most known project were the Board Ape Yacht Club. And now they're also in the media because of some, some troubles. But uh, their marketing strategy in general was pretty good. And everybody was knowing about them, including Justin Bieber posted about them, etc. Now, a lot of influencers and stars has have released their own NFTs. There were some troubles, I think, even with Logan Paul and the Fails Clan. So after all, what would you say about NFTs? What do you what do you believe about it? What do you think about it? Okay, I'm not a big fan of it. And uh, I am always transparent about it. I always thought that uh, uh, when it comes to business, for me personally, I'm I'm really easy. Uh, like, you know, if you bring value, uh, you're cash positive, you're making a profit and you're actually getting a business. So it means that uh, there is there is uh, money in exchange of value, then then it makes sense. NFT, it's pure speculation. We noticed that uh, these things went to one million and some of them on OpenSea now are maybe a thousand dollar. Why? Because there is no value of an NFT. They try to make it like something's really cool. I saw it even restaurants in New York and be like, you need an NFT to access this 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 like sort of like menu. I'm like, guys, that's that's a membership. Like not because you call it NFT, then it's something cooler, you know? So I would say that sometimes people use buzzwords to really like, you know, um, make it something that is actually easy, something that more than what should it be. And NFT, it's that. It's really like the idea was like, oh, you can create scarcity, but 
everyone started making them because because you can go on Photoshop, you can create a macro, you create five different layers of an image and you just use a macro and be like, okay, create a thousand different images. Now, this was before all the opening eye and things like, can you imagine now how easy it is for NFT? Like you can just be there, like create this image. It's going to be unique because, because sorry, like opening eye is going to create everything unique with all the different projects that you have. So now it would be even easier. The idea was scarcity, but now everyone can create NFTs. It's really easy to do. There are platforms and so on. So where is the value of that? Even if you talk about only the value of like reselling, that it's all about NFT. Now, if everyone can create it, that like the value of the single like things are like whatever, it's really zero. So even if you're like a big like influencer, a VIP, a celebrity, I think that's still like the era of NFT. It's gone. I'm really happy to to be honest that the bubble burst because many people lost money and there were a lot of things really borderline happening there. And and I'm just happy that whenever these type of things happens, that we go back to basics and I actually realize that, oh, wow, I need to create value to people in order to get money, right? So overall, yeah, I don't, I, I've never been a fan of it. And uh, and I'm happy to see that get things are getting back to, to reality. Um, and again, we got crypto, then we got NFT, and then now we have all the AI. It's phases, right? Some of them are more interesting than others. Some are going to stay and some are going to give more value than the others. But yeah, overall, NFT, I was never bullish on them. Never liked them. I uh, see too many things, uh, sorry, too many people scamming people with that. Uh, people losing money, even if NFT, the idea was that it's coded. It's nah. At the end of the day, it's still a person behind the project and the person can take the key, uh, get everything from, from the, you know, the... Uh, from the you know the box and run away and that happened many times so uh, society it will never be okay like with having like this idea of that you know everything is like all together we like each other's no uh people try to steal your money and that happened at the world so i'm 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 really like harsh on that but again i saw too many bad things happening i don't think there is a not even a good way to use it because there is no examples of that so far yeah, so I also think that um, it was a it was a big crash and it smashed some of the people that have lost a lot of money. I think board a Yacht Club items or or the the crypto parts, they were sometimes at a couple of hundred thousand US dollars for uh, a JPEG plus solo house. Um, to to sum it up, because it were memberships. Of course, you're right. And you could just sell it like solo houses selling their their memberships or another very exclusive club. I think. I don't want to entirely give up on on the idea. I think there are some instances where it could work. So, for example, I myself, I'm a big Marvel fan. So, and if we would connect fandom plus fan art, so let's just say I could own Spider-Man and then it really needs to be ownership so that I could also earn money with it. And then I could uh, add a spin-off, for example. So, let's say uh, Spider-Man as Grant or something like that. I'm, I'm just spinning around. And then maybe I could sell a book of it or a movie of it or merchandise of it with Spider-Man and his, his grandpa beard, for example. So I think that in such instances, and of course they're way smaller and less capitalistic than what we all saw with influencer NFTs, it could make sense with IP, of course. But the IP then also needs to be um, in the hands of the buyer. But in general, 
I'm with you. There were a lot of bad things um, happening with NFTs and in every gold rush, people wanted to exploit that. In general, um, I think that um, the, the blockchain can help for trust. So uh, for example, uh, when an agency is saying, okay, we worked with, let's say, Meta. We are as good as Influencer Marketing Factory. We also work with them. And then a client doesn't believe that. Then you could see it on the blockchain that they technically really worked with them and that there is a content piece assigned to it, something like that. Long in the future, I could think of something like that. But yeah, I, I was also really annoyed by, by the NFT companies and by a lot of these NFT ideas because they didn't really seem to exploit the value of NFT. And I think there is a value, but they didn't make use of it. It's exactly what you said. And, and then and they made like uh, all the industry looking bad. It's the same with crypto and like, you know, even something like, and then again, like somebody's blockchain, somebody's crypto, like they're like all different, but somehow like, um, you know, chained together. But again, like even crypto, the idea, interesting. We also accepted crypto for, for a period of our time as an agency. Um, but um, we, we experimented that. The the problem there is that again, you know, like just because uh, some people are like, you know, doing a bad job and then all the industry uh, look at that and that what happened with so so overall the the blockchain um as a thing i'm not that that of an expert but absolutely you can use it for logistics for like you know things that are still happening you can do it a bit faster um but uh yeah all the time you know there are some people that have to ruin everything because they are like you know they want to make some easy money and and scam the others and unfortunately that happened in the past with other ways and and lately it happened with nft and and crypto and some of these ponzi scheme uh, you know just covered uh, with with crypto ideas exactly and when we were going back to my spider-man fandom you could even say that i could create a couple of virtual influencers that are now also part of that story because virtual influencers we had uh, last episode, um, one member of the membership team of the biggest virtual influencer in the world here. Um, it is from um, a retail e-commerce retail store um, in Brazil. And she is a corporate influencer and a virtual influencer. I even call her she, but it's, it's she doesn't even exist. <laughs> so um, I know that in China, this is bigger as well than in the US. Surprisingly, in Brazil, this is very big as well. Um, what is your opinion on a virtual influencer? First of all, yeah, on Brazil, like little note, really interesting market, huge market, uh, and also like a good way to do tests there. So a lot of social media go to Brazil because the pool of people, the amount of people, it's, it's huge. And with a lot of early adopters uh, that want to try new things. So Definitely. So ByteDance is one of our biggest customers because next to TikTok, they're also doing a lot of other things. They tested, as you mentioned it before, in Indonesia, fourth biggest market super cheap um, and then they go to brazil seventh biggest market in the world um, but also pretty cheap but very close to western values and then when they see the features they're then going to the us where it gets expensive mm -hmm. no absolutely so yeah on that and and then you know like to to look at virtual influencers again historically speaking and also culturally speaking it's something that again for example in asia it's part of the culture right uh, it's something that it's uh, really common was never really a taboo that it might be a taboo in western countries for example because uh, now it's more accepted because of like for example comic-con and some other like things happening so all that all the um all that world that i for example, i don't know that much right i i just read about things you know i'm not that active but i know that in the years for example all the cosplayers world for example it was a niche and then um next to next to my play like you know nearby there is like they do conventions right like you know comic and so and i, I pass by 
it's I'm talking about thousands of people. Up until a few years ago, it was not like that. It was mostly people finding themselves on forums, right? And only chatting. And now we're like, you know what, actually, why don't we meet? And so more and more and more. And the same also is for virtual influencers. I think that at the beginning it was a sort of, I want to say like almost a taboo, like why don't you follow someone that doesn't exist, that reminds you of a cartoon and so on. Again, in China, super normal, like in, in the culture of that. You are used to like, um, um, even like, again, culturally speaking, uh, certain people in China, maybe they use more their phone than talking to each other in, let's say, real real life, you know, in real person. Like, so you're used to all the time, uh, let's say, transpose your life to something that is virtual. And the idea to have like an avatar in China is like it was more normal for many years. So I think that it works well, very well there. It's starting to work even better here now in the US and also a bit in Europe. Again, we, we moved from uh, it's a niche thing to uh, mass popularity. And, uh, but, I, but I still think that there are like in China, again, it's uh, in Asia overall, you can see, I would say more live stream, for example, with um, a person that maybe put on tracking, right? On their, on their uh, body and recreate an avatar in real time. Um, more there maybe compared to the US. In the US, you still have people but again, the, the mass adoption, it's a bit lower, I would say. So overall, there is there are opportunities. But again, as I said before, for social commerce and so on, you have to understand, is it a technological gap or it is like a cultural difference, right? So certain things are going to get in adoption. It's still a niche compared to the overall market. But there are opportunities uh, because, again, you know what people say all the time, with the virtual influencers, you don't have to fly, there, fly them somewhere. You have, like, the payment, it's... It's, it goes to the agency that is behind that, right? It doesn't go to a real person. You can uh, edit everything in post. Like, okay, you want uh, this client is not anymore interested. Boom, with one click, even if it's not just one click, you know, but you can potentially change uh, the backdrop, whatever, or change the cloth that the info virtual influencer is, it's, it's, uh, it's like, you know, has address on. So a lot of opportunities. Uh, you still, technically speaking, you need more knowledge there. But long story short, uh, opportunity, yes. Uh, Still, big question: It is how how big is going to be the niche that it is right now interested in virtual influencer, and how associated is going to be with the gaming industry. So far, it's still big on that mostly. Like, um, what if, or maybe in the fashion, they try a little bit on that, but uh, can can it expand in the US, for example, and in Europe to also other industries, or is it going to be mostly just for certain niches? Um, so again, I'm I'm not that of an expert. I follow something here and there just to see how it goes. Uh, we run a report about that. We asked people if they follow them, and uh, and yes, they do. But still, the conversion sometimes between I follow them and then actually I, I buy or I get influenced is still not there yet. So I think that we have the avatars, we have the this type of world, but the but the the funnel at the end of the funnel, like you know, do go go from there to conversions. I think it still need uh, need something for the other industries. Maybe for the gaming, it's it's a bit better, I would say, but. Uh, it's it's an interesting one. Absolutely, still at the, also the infancy there. Definitely, I think I'm more bullish on virtual influencers than I am, for example, on on NFTs for the influencer space. Because I think what can make a real difference is the storytelling. So you really need to create a character that is having their own political views, that is having a certain interests, that is having some favorite movie characters. And I think that we are, when it comes to virtual influencers, a little bit closer to China than when it comes to other things. Because, for example, Disney. I mean, Disney produced, if you zoom out a little bit, many 
virtual inflats. We call them Mickey Mouse, and they were cartoon uh, cartoon heroes, of course. But they were interesting because they always had a certain story. And right now, some virtual influencers are making the mistakes that they are having great graphics, but they are not having something to tell. And that is the difficulty because it's a lot of work. So I listened to a couple of other podcasts of creators of virtual influencers, and you basically need to think exactly like the virtual influencer. And I think there's a threat that you're getting crazy because you're living two lives. But when you're managing to tell a great story, then I think there is a good chance that the influencer can also convert. I do agree 100%. Like you should look at virtual influencers so when you build them as when you are doing a script for a movie. There are bad movies where the character is like one layer. They do basic things and you cannot really associate with that person. But then there are like really good like writers for movies. They know everything about their fictional character. The person is called Mark, whatever. Okay, they were, uh, they were born in that city and their mom abandoned them like at that age and then their favorite food is these and they drink usually like when it rains they usually go to that place they have everything in mind so yeah like absolutely if you are becoming like more than that yeah sub layers of consciousness there you are like more than just like a virtual identity as a 3d character it can work absolutely uh if instead it's just like transposing like something in 3d Again, it, it doesn't really, you cannot associate it with that person. So if you can give the human-like part in the character, absolutely. But again, as you said, it's difficult. You need technical, like, you know, technically speaking, it's, it's a, more, a bit more advanced. And then you have to think about everything about this character. Like, will they say this word when they, they script something or no? And if they start going off script in a way, people are going to be like, okay, so who is released this person like you know why yesterday she or he or they like said these and now it's this other thing and if this discrepancy then you lose interest in that and i mean if we if we sum it up that's what makes influencers so successful right because they are having a story that is why people love to follow kylie jenner and more than brad pitt for example because brad pitt is an icon but kylie jenner is like my neighbor i mean she I wish she was, but then I would live in a very rich neighborhood. <laughs> but we know basically everything from her, and she is telling a story because her whole life is a story. We know her ex-lovers, we know what she likes, what she don't uh, doesn't like, and so on and so forth. That's why I think that is super interesting. Now, um, let's look again into the East, into China. You mentioned already a couple of times live e-commerce maybe you can explain it quickly what you mean by that because i think not everybody knows that and what do you think of it yeah absolutely so live live shopping it is uh or you know live stream shopping it is that moment where you are on a social media app you are in a sync so it's not async right so you're not watching things that are already created in that moment all in that moment someone is going live and they are talking about things and usually are selling things you might see for example someone that is physically in a store, okay, selling shoes or bags. And why that works for some reasons, but one of the main it is that you can interact with the host. You can ask them, can I see that bag again? Do you have these shoes in blue? You know, you can ask those questions and you have a better trust between you and this person because you, even if it's like not in the same room, but again, it's a sync type of relationship, right? So I can ask things. I can also read the comments from other users. I can have feedback. I can have real-time feedback, right? And the good thing is that certain apps, and again, in the US, I haven't really seen that 
properly. That's why I don't think we are there yet. But in certain apps, uh, you know, like uh, Little Red Book, for example, like, you know, some others uh, uh, happening mostly in Asia, um, they combine, let's say, you know, for example, Pinterest uh, in terms of like, what are your interests plus together with live streaming. So you go there, you scroll things, blah, blah, blah. Uh, that is mostly, sorry, for like async, async. But uh, <clears throat> there are other apps where you can go there. You, you only go for live streaming. And even just like TikTok, I was in Indonesia, I was talking with a couple of people there and I was like, okay, why do you spend time? I was talking with this girl and she's like, oh, you know why? Usually I get big discounts on, for example, beauty products only during the live streaming. So I get connected and what do I do? I listen to the host, I see if there is a big drop in the, in the, in the amount, whatever. I click on it in real time without leaving the app. So I'm still in the app, the live streaming is working. I can add it to the cart and I can buy it in real time. So it's not destructive, right? It's frictionless. And so what we did, like we also ran a report about live stream shopping on, on, on our website. And what we found out is that one of the reasons, in my opinion, it also is that why it's not working well in the US, because there is no any, uh, I would say, no any incentive to be on a live. Like if I'm not going to find a big discount, if there is not a drop, there is maybe let's say a drop collection of something with scarcity. Why should I go spend one hour of my time during the day usually for what? For something that I can see as async, so I can watch it later. So if you don't really create scarcity, a drop collection that's gonna live only that week. If you don't have this sense of FOMO, then a live doesn't make sense. But again, why in China is working well? One in Indonesia because they are using all these techniques uh, to keep the people in front of their phones uh, and and even like in China I heard like sometimes they go on these uh, because they want to buy so US want to be entertained in China you want to buy it's a different type of behavior like the the intent as a users is the opposite US entertainment and maybe I'm gonna buy in China I know that I'm gonna have a big discount uh, for single days for whatever it is uh, I want to go to buy and it happens also they're gonna entertain me so it's, it's really totally different. So up until the US and Europe is able to find good host, and that is also the other thing I wanted to add. Being an influencer doesn't mean that you're a good host. Being a good live shopping host, it means that you have to uh, entertain for one, two, three hours and keep the same energy and be able to know about the product so well that if they ask you something in the same moment, you know what to reply. And a lot of influencers, they are not good at it. They're good in doing async content. So they. Uh, do post-production, whatever. So I think that the US and Europe are is missing in terms of uh, host. And in fact, in China, you have academies uh, to become a good live shopping host that we don't have in Europe or in, in the US, right? So big difference, I would say, in terms of marketing, about usage. Um, and, and so yeah, live stream shopping, really big in China and in Indonesia, uh, in the US, it's still like uh, so far behind compared to, to the others that... Uh, we all thought that 2020 was the year, and I don't even think that 2023 is gonna be the year. It's we're not there yet. We made a podcast early 2022 or even 2021 where we predicted that 2022 was the year of live shopping. We did the same, and uh, and no, I mean everyone was thinking that, and uh, no, we're not there yet. Yeah, so you're totally right with that event character. So AliExpress was doing a couple of campaigns with us on on Black Friday in the last years, and they were using exactly that. So. 
you're getting into that stream. It was with influencers and they couldn't answer all of the questions, but exactly what you said, it was entertaining and you could get a lot of discounts. So you could get, then get to the landing page of AliExpress and then every time it was basically a loot and in that loot, you could get a lot of different discounts or free items. So that worked pretty well. And I also think that it worked. I mean, it was a gaming niche to be fair, but it also worked because of the gamification. So, and that is what China is doing in general, very good. So also when you're opening apps like Shein, there is a lot of gamification, a lot of different discounts or AliExpress where you think, okay, this can't be real. Did they really give me now a discount for five euros or five US dollars? And then my first intent would be, okay, th that's a scam. Uh, that's not trustworthy. And I think that a lot of people think that in Europe and in the US at the moment. And so also we had a campaign with Shein because they sometimes have the threat to become something like Wish. So like a meme. So uh, you know the meme, like it was bought on, on Wish. And that is a big threat of that, uh, for them, of course. So we partnered with some of the biggest influencers in Brazil to just make sure that they don't have that image. But long story short, I think there is a threat that the things that work in China are seemed cheap or are perceived cheap in the Western world. No, no, I, I, I agree. And then as I was saying before, everything's happening at the same time. And yeah, like the gamification is very well done. If you click there, the more minutes you stay on, you you get a badge or you're like you're, uh, the level bar, let's say, you know, of your profile, you know, get some points. Um, so first of all, yeah, we don't do that. And then, yes, secondly, about that. Um, yeah, I mean, like, of course, you know, you still associate, you know, like China with, uh, uh, you know, cheap, you know, labors. Like, there are things that are like more from the maybe 90s and 2000s. Some of them are also true. Like, still also the US, like, they, they, they export to other countries, like, to make things a bit cheaper. But that is maybe is not the case all the time. But again, there is this idea, right, that, oh, I'm on a Chinese website. It's going to be scammy for some reason. So again, yeah, like, there, there are some cultural differences there and uh but i do agree with you maybe if you said discounts uh, you know from second one just because you're like mm. that's that's a bit fishy you know so uh like should i should i click on it or not and uh you're gonna you're gonna take a bit a bit uh, a bit more years to to get the trust the right trust for, for for people about that i really liked your idea of exclusive drops because that combines the the rebates and the discounts with something that is usually very expensive so let's say um Back in the years, a live shopping stream, Supreme 12, when, when did they release it? Uh, at a certain time on Thursday or something like that. They're a live stream. I mean, they sold out anyways, but something like that would be great. That's also where Kim Kardashian went viral in, in China, where she was attending a live shopping stream with Via, one of the biggest um, live shopping streamers in China to sell her perfume. And because of that event, it went through the roof. So super interesting. I think that the app uh, that I was uh, referring to is called Network. Mm -hmm. um, it's uh, but again, it's I think really niche about fashion. So um, you know, so Network is mostly, if, if I'm correct, they mostly do like drop, um, but uh, you know, fashion like related, and still you need the app that is only for that. So again, are you really gonna have users uh, going from whatever to download your app that is only for that? If you were able maybe to put the feature of drop inside Instagram, TikTok, and so on, with a countdown, boom, you won the game because you already have the users there, you know? So so these apps, they exist, there are like a lot of them, right? Uh, with different names, you know? Uh, but each of them, they have like still a niche of audience and they try to win over. But, uh, you know, again, they're missing the, the, why should I get back to the app every single day? And that's why they're missing their attention, right? Um, so the, the social component is, is crucial. Very interesting question as well who will win live commerce if it comes to 
US and, and Europe. So will it be the e-commerce apps or will it be the social media platforms? So because AliExpress had their own live stream, if you would transfer it to US, would it be Amazon or would it be Instagram? Because usually you're going to Amazon to buy something, right? And to Instagram to be entertained. So that was a question I, I was also asking myself with, with other results, yeah, to be honest. <laughs> but I just found it very interesting to, to think about it. It's really difficult to say, yes. Now, let's close this with two uh, very interesting topics. One is Gen Z. The other one is AI because they're both so important right now that I would just love to talk with you about it. The, the Gen Z virus. Um, it seems like there is a totally different audience. Before you mentioned already, he, she, they. So there is a lot more sensitivity for the Gen Z buyers than it was in the early 2000s. What are some other characteristics that you would say is typical for Gen Z? Um, as in any, uh, you know, generation pros and cons. Uh, I'm a millennial, so of course, you know, we have this sort of hate and love between, uh, you know, millennials and Gen Z. Majority of my employees are uh, of the company are, are Gen Z. Um, and so it's always interesting to see like the difference there. I would say that the pro absolutely are more inclusive. Uh, uh, they really don't care about who you are, where you're coming from. Like there is really like inclusion on social media. So that is, uh, that what, that's what I like. Uh, they, they're trying to restore a bit, you know, faith, I would say in the, in the, on the human side. And I think that they are doing a great job in that. They are more, um, they pay attention more about like, you know, green initiatives. Uh, they, they care more about these type of things uh, that absolutely millennials, uh, Gen X and boomers uh, almost destroy the world. I think they're like more, more, more helpful in that way. The con, if I have to find one, I would say that, uh, and we saw it these days, especially with the My Day in Life on TikTok, there has been a wrong narrative, in my opinion, of what work is and should be. And a lot of these people that actually got fired, you know, like after that, like it was all, almost like always crazy to see, like they posted all these like My Day in Life at, you know, these really uh, good companies that pay you very well. And they recorded themselves from, and they basically were not working in these videos and everyone in the comments like when are you working between the massage and the third snack of the day and so unfortunately i think that some gen z saw these videos thinking that that is the reality for every company out there like they got this idea that oh yeah work shouldn't be like real work like work should be and again i don't want to put it as a general thing that is my personal like you know experience so far whenever i talk with with some gen z uh let's say um users and and people um, so overall, just like sometimes the idea that work should be, I would say like always fun, you know, but we should, should be always light, you know, should be, of course you, you need, like we care as an, as an agency, like about the mental health of the people. We want to have the person before the professional, absolutely important. Um, but then you still have to like, you know, work and, and do certain things, right. Uh, by the deadline, there are certain goals to achieve. And unfortunately, I know this sometimes because of this narrative or Gen Z online, there is almost like, oh, this, the, this is the reality for everyone. And therefore, I want this as well because I deserve it. And when you start thinking about I deserve this just because, then in my opinion, it's problematic because you don't see the other side. So I think that Gen Z, sometimes they listen a lot. And I love it about that. Sometimes uh, they close themselves in thinking that, that their reality is the only reality. And, and you need to be more of like conversation open. So sometimes they really open for conversations. Sometimes I notice that be, just because they saw a video on TikTok, they think that, that, that that's the solution, right? So again, I don't want to make it as a generational thing. That's what I noticed so far. Uh, but, but overall, it's a good generation. There have been a way worse generation than, than Gen Z, to be honest. So I, I'm way more pro 
than than con. Yeah, definitely me as well. Also a fun story. So uh, my co-founder at Bold Creators Club was for a long time um, a strategy consultant at the the Boston Consulting Group, and for him. His life was like, okay, uh, you're leaving work at 10 p.m. Okay, that was a pretty short day for you. And of course, that is the exact opposite of the work and uh, fun mentality, work fun relationship um, that is sometimes uh, just driven on, on TikTok. And as um, have, working in a company and working in particular in the agency business, I think we can say if you're not working hard, then there are also no, no great results. So you really need to put in the work. Uh, to get in some some awesome results, um, so I think that is also just uh, important. But also, I'm I'm with you. I think uh, very promising generation, super interesting generation. Um, what is I think important for the advertisers is that they are not really used. So they were growing up with social media. They're not that used to TV commercials or something like that. Then uh, Gen Y, Gen then then we have been. So what we've seen in particular on TikTok, of course, is don't make ad, make TikTok. So um, it needs to be the the commercial itself needs to have a value add, so that it is entertaining, that it is informative, or something like that. Is that something you saw as well? No, absolutely. I mean, like again, you know, uh, no one, no Gen Z clicks on banners. Uh, they don't do things like, you know, again, in the traditional way sometimes, so being like uh, the typical flow and so on. And you want to have something that, you know, like, again, to go back to the, the, the authentic, like, you know, the buzzword that is overused, but it started the most on TikTok that was mostly Gen Alpha and Gen, and Gen Z, right? So that was the idea to try to remove everything that was like kind of fake on the internet and you wanted to be the person that you are in real life. Of course, things also change it there, but absolutely, they are like... I prefer to do things that might not be like that looking good, right? Again, I, I might just, um, you know, uh, record myself in my room with not the best lighting, but it's about the content, it's about the story that I'm telling more than about the perfect lighting. And I think that that was the big difference that divides Gen Z and Millennial. Also, totally different type of humor. I love Gen Z humor. Like, it's it's so messed up sometimes. You, you need to know all, all the reference be to, be, behind the meme, right? Um, but I think that like it helps your brain just to process what is happening, right? So again, with b behind a, behind the meme sometimes that is made for for Gen Z by Gen Z, you can learn so much more about what is happening in society nowadays. So I try to keep myself like updated what is happening and uh, quite fascinating, I would say. Yeah, definitely. Now, one thing that will play a huge role in the life of Gen Z is at least I am uh, so bullish uh, because we can see already Google is having an AI and it's probably tuning up the the results. And we have recently experimented with AI voices and they were incredibly good, at least some of them. Um, we were using a tool, I think it was called play.ht and um, it was very realistic, in particular the, the English voices. And then of course, you're having ChatGPT, Midjourney, um, you name dropped already before where you can create images. Um, in general, how do you see that whole AI trend? So I was talking about this uh, also with the guests on, on our own podcast uh, just a few weeks ago. And we were discussing about, so is it like a replacement? Uh, it is an addition. And I would say that I'm more like uh, AI, it's an addition and not a replacement. Because um, if you think about it, especially uh, GPT, First of all, you only have data up until 2021, so you don't have really updated data. So if you want to write anything that is really like, you know, niche and something that you need updated data for, not the best tool already to start with. And secondly, uh, you still need to give your own point of view, because if not, after one year, you're going to have maybe 
a million different uh, like pieces of like writing that are mostly the same spinet content that is like it's only generated from information that already exists. Like human beings, they create things from what uh, what exists, but AI so far, at least what I saw, is creating new things, but still using like data that is already there. So especially for text, it's not coming up with anything new. Like if you ask them like to for like you know organize recipe for like vegans uh, based on these uh, let's say five different ingredients, uh, it's gonna go around and you know looking on the web and getting information together, but it's not gonna come up with something new. Also, some of the information are still really wrong. Like if you ask anything that is like medical or anything that is like you know more detailed, and you look through certain things, don't make sense. Why? Because it's still generated by a machine, right? It doesn't think as a human being. So. Uh, all, all in all, great potential. We all, all see that. Again, it's still at the beginning on on certain things. It's more advanced on others. But uh, I would say that uh, you still need someone to look at that, similar to like when like an editor, right, Be, behind the work. You still need someone that is gonna look at the data look at the text, look at the image, you know, and be like, okay, this is a good starting point. And it helped me, for example, remove some of myself and save hours in research, putting something on a table, create an image. Now you can also do text to video. Absolutely, that helps. But again, in addition, not as a replacement. You still need someone. So everyone is like afraid of me, like, oh, that's my job. I'm gonna, yeah, of course, like every X amount of like hundreds of years or X amount of years, you have to, reinvent yourself. So if now something that you're doing is doing maybe just GPT, then you should just do, go to the next level and maybe become either an expert in using that or let's say an editor, for example, of the content that is generated by AI. So again, it's not going to replace people. At least those people are going to be replaced. It's the same that you can replace maybe for, you know, flipping burgers, right? Like there are robots that are doing that, but the same is could be like, okay, maybe I'm not going to be flipping burger anymore. Can, but I can still work in the hospitality and, and in the place, right? I can still still do that. So it's it's an, in addition. You start from AI, but then you still need, in my opinion, a human being that is going to check on things, uh, do they make sense, uh, um, you know? And that is, again, it's a good starting point to save hours and so on. But uh, for now, at least, uh, if, if I take something from that chat GPT or some other things, uh, I still want to add something that is mine because it's not really in one year we're going to have all the same content, uh, you know, we all know that for SEO is not the best because Google is already like catching on those and be like, you know what, we're going to depenalize you if you use this type of content. And also like all the time, and I said it at the beginning, just to go back at, I think in giving values, if you create something that hasn't really value, that is like something that diversify your work from the others, what's the point? Again, if we all go to ChatGPT and ask the same question, we have variation, but it's going to mostly gonna be about the same data sets and the same way I, how it is proposed. The human being has something that is different from a machine that is your own style, your character, your personality, your story as a human being. So again, additional, not a replacement. Yeah, I, I also think so. And I mean, it can help when it's proposed Google titles, for example, or um, some, some good night stories. Uh, pretty interesting when you're too sleepy and your son says, okay, can you can you tell me a nice story? And then you can just ask ChatGPT that your son is the hero and stuff like that. I think that's quite interesting. I think um, that it can also help to um, create content faster and to test a couple of things. Like we said it with the AI voice. Um, maybe in the future, there is also AI video that is really good 
that might be used for for um, for social media, but in particular, it can be used for training, for onboarding a new coworker, for example. But I also think that right now we are unfortunately not there yet. It is an assistant um, that can do things that are relatively uncomplicated. But in the future, with more data, I think it could look quite promising. Now, Alessandro, I know that we've used a lot of your time. And what you didn't mention, you've been also part of Influencer Marketing Hub as an as an employee in one of the earlier days. And you were growing with SEO there very, very fastly. And when you're Googling now, Influencers, Influencer Marketing Hub will be usually among um, the first results, probably on the first page. Then you said um, TikTok was right. Um, and you, you betted on TikTok. Now, to close this podcast, do you maybe have one or two tips for future marketers, where should they look into what is right now fascinating yourself? Is there anything where you could say, okay, guys, visit that website maybe or watch that video, something like that? Uh, I think that it's something about what we uh, what we discussed in the past. Again, there are, there are so many things happening. I, I still want to see more about social commerce, even more, th even more than live streaming. Live streaming is more complex. Again, seeing content is difficult, but async like social commerce is inter interesting. Again, why I'm saying that? Mostly because you are combining together two of the biggest things nowadays that you have. Commerce that has existed from the beginning of time, okay? You know, from, you know, ancient Greek and even before, you wanted to sell something, there was, the, the, you know, like the place that, and, and you were able to sell. So commerce, It's a big part of our of our culture. Influencers are are just word of mouth people that it's family and friends and blah, blah, that existed since the beginning of the time, right? So you're combining together two of the biggest thing of, of society. Influencers again call it whatever they whatever you want now they're calling influencers for like the past 10 years before they were calling other ways and commerce. So the power of that together and that's what I saw the time. Last time they went to a restaurant, most probably a friend told you to go there. Uh, and then you Google it to search for the reviews, right? So long story short, I'm still like, you know, bullish on that. And uh, if I had to look into something, I would look at how you can make that, make that frictionless. How can you have a better retention? But if you really are able to find the right key of finding a, a way to get to having influencers sell you things in a frictionless way with better retention, gamification, all the things that we discussed before, you're going to have the next really 1 billion plus like company. Again, easy to say, difficult potentially to do. It's going to take some time. But if I had to create a something new, if I had to expand like, you know, my, my ideas and so on, I wouldn't look at necessarily new things, AI and so on. Absolutely interesting. But I will go back to basics. Human relationship and commerce together. That's that's what I would look at. Super interesting. Um I'm just thinking loudly. The first thing that came to my mind was was WhatsApp because when I'm getting recommendations, it's through WhatsApp. Maybe that would be uh, one way to to monetize WhatsApp in the end. But we can't use any more of your time. So, Alessandro, thanks so much for being here. So much input, uh, so so much value added, and all the best to New York. And uh, I hope that we can speak sometime soon. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. This was uh, really fun, and informative. Great. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.